If you're on a copy of Scripture with you this morning, you can find Genesis chapter 23. Genesis 23, as we continue in our series, Faith of Our Fathers, this is not a chapter of Scripture that uh, you probably memorize any verses within. Uh, it's probably not one that you're even all that familiar with, except that perhaps you read through the Bible and you come across this one from time to time. And this is one of those passages of Scripture that remind us that all Scripture is not only inspired by God, but all Scripture is profitable. All Scripture is necessary. And here at Sailorville Church, we're doing everything we can to squeeze truth, because Scripture is truth, but uh, applicable truth from every passage in God's Word. That means we're going to look at every passage, every chapter, every verse. We might summarize some of the narratives from time to time, but we're not going to skip over the Word of God. We're going to go through all the Scripture. Can I get an amen? That encourages me. <laughs> uh, but you'll see what I mean, because this actually is a, is a funeral passage of Scripture. How many here like going to funerals? I didn't think I'd see any hands. Well, somebody just raised their hand. Actually, we're told to do that from time to time. The Bible says it's... it's it's better to be in the house of mourning than in the house of feasting. Because in the house of mourning, this is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. In fact, we quote that scripture at virtually every funeral we do around here, just to remind our people and those who visit of the importance of going to the house of mourning, that is, a funeral, uh, from time to time. The other day, in fact, it was just before, between the first and second services last week, I got a text from uh, the pastor of the church I, I pastored many years ago to tell me that the last man I led to Christ there died moments earlier. It wasn't a tragedy. He's one of the oldest guys I'd ever led to Christ. He was 70 years old when he got saved. He went on, he got baptized, joined the church, lived for the Lord, almost 90 years old. Not a shocker when 90-year-olds die, right? Uh, more importantly, he was ready to die. He was ready to die because he had placed his faith in Jesus Christ to be his personal Lord and Savior. Today, I've got a couple of questions I'm going to put before you. I'll put them before you now, and then we'll look at them, we'll stare at them a little more intently later. And they are, these are the questions. I've already said, are you ready to die while you live? Because that's the only way you can, <laughs> you can really live is if you get ready to die while you live. And are you willing to live before you die? The first question is to those of you who don't know Jesus. The second question is for those of you who do. Now, at the time of the Reformation, and we just celebrated the 500th anniversary of that last year, if you'll recall, at that time, there were other familiar names besides Martin Luther and John Kelvin and John Knox and many of these other great men of God and women of God, but there were other household names that lived, and you know them, at least a couple of them. They were artists. In fact, there was a trio. They were sometimes called the Trinity of Great Artists. Leonardo da Vinci was one. He died a couple of years after the Reformation. Michelangelo was another. And then there was a third artist, not as well-known, Raphael. That was his name. 
Raphael was every bit what those other artists were, but he died when he was really young, 37 years old. He had a huge body of work, but the world mourned his passing because they just mourned over what might have been. Raphael had many great paintings, but the one that he's most known for is this one, the Transfiguration, based off of Matthew 17 when Jesus transfigured himself before Peter, James, and John appeared. There was Moses and Elijah. Remember that passage? Raphael depicted it here, and there it is as it stands, as it's pictured in Rome today. One big difference. The picture you're looking at is not the picture that it was when Raphael died. When he died, the picture was not finished. In fact, they hung that picture above his deathbed for several days before actually taking it down. His greatest work of art was left unfinished, and the world mourned what might have been. It was Charles Wesley who said, God buries his workmen, but carries on his work. I think of that at the end of every year when we assess what happened the year before everybody who died. And for some particular reason, 2017 had a heavier note to me personally. A number of people died, as a number of people die every year that were associated with Sailorville Church. But there were some heavyweights in the Lord's work that died last year. Great men and women of God who served the Lord with all their hearts and understood what it meant to be, to be willing to live before they die. On the other hand, death is a reality. Would you agree to that? People die all the time. Loved ones die. Most are not ready to die. I still remember sitting before a, a woman who was dying. She knew she was dying. She was a Christian. And I looked at her and I said, I mean, she was on death's door, literally. And I said, are you ready to die? And she literally went, and then she died. She was dying, but she wasn't ready. Either way, death takes us whether we're ready or not, right? And some of us are going to go that way. We're going to leave the world mourning, Wondering what might have been. Some of us in this room may die young. Some of you are going to die unprepared. Some of you are going to die without wills made, relationships mended, work left unfinished. The worst thing would be to die unprepared. Sarah dies in this chapter. She's 127 years old. She makes the list of those who died. Let's just look at that first big paragraph together. Sarah lived 127 years, it says. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kirith Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in and to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. 
because that's what you do when a loved one dies, right? And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, if you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat me, Hephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now, isn't that an exciting passage of scripture? A guy's wife dies, the first of our patriarchs, and he's negotiating the sale or the, the purchase, that is, of property to bury his wife. This is Abraham's house of mourning. His beloved Sarah has died. And how about a short eulogy on Sarah? I mean, she, she deserves that, doesn't she? I mean, here's Sarah. She went from Sarai, contentious one, to Sarah, princess. The apostle Paul uses her as an example of grace in Galatians chapter 3. Peter refers to her as an example to all of you that are wives in 1 Peter chapter 4. And the writer of Hebrews places her 2,000 years after the fact into the epic hall of faith. You think baseball players have to wait a long time. And there she is in Hebrews 11. It sounds like a good time to ask, uh, how will you be remembered when you die? Relax, I'm not going to guilt you with that one. I've got a couple other questions for you out of this text. And I'm going to give them to you again. Are you ready to die while you live? That's a very important question. I asked a young man after the first service who's been coming only for about a month. He's listening. He's all in listening. I looked and I squared him up and I said, are you ready to die? And he said, no, I'm not. Of course, I've got grandkids that aren't ready to die either. I just talked to one a little bit ago and I said, are you ready to die? He goes, nope. <laughs> they literally pray, God, help us to be saved one of these days. Some of you are just not ready to die while you live. And the other question is to you Christians, are you willing to live before you die? Because some of you have not learned what it means to live. Abraham and Sarah have lived, speaking of living, they have lived long enough to celebrate their 100th wedding anniversary. I mean, what is that? If, if 50 is golden, what's 100? Platinum? It's been 60 years since his call from Ur of the Chaldees, where he got the call, Genesis 12, come over. I'm going to give you land, seed, blessing, all of that. That's been 60 years ago. Isaac, their son of promise. Remember Abraham wielding the knife over him in the last chapter, and he was a strapping teenager. Now 
He's well into his upper 30s. But the mother of laughter is gone. The princess of Israel has vacated her throne. This narrative begins with her dying and ends with her getting buried. This is a funeral. Not a lot of exciting stuff about funeral, but as we said earlier, it's necessary for us to be at funerals because it's better to be in the house of mourning than in the house of feasting, for this is the end of all men, and the living take it to heart. Have you read that before? That's the purpose of a funeral, for us to take all this stuff in. Verse 2 tells us that Abraham mourned and wept over Sarah, which is what you do when a loved one dies. There's a time to be born and a time to die. Time to weep and a time to laugh, the writer of Ecclesiastes says. And Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4 that when followers of Jesus die, we weep, but not as those who have no hope. That would be those that would be mourning for somebody. We would weep as those who have no hope if you who don't know Jesus died. Because there'd be no hope for you beyond this world. I gotta tell you, throughout the morning, people have been coming up to us and praying, weeping over their parents that are not Christians. Another man left the first service and made a beeline down to the hospital to share with his relative who's dying and doesn't know Jesus. This becomes pretty serious business. But God did make us to weep. And Genesis, this book of first, has all kinds of firsts in it. This is the first blessing, the first marriage, the first lie, the first sin, the first messianic prophecy is right here. The first work, the first Murder, the first death, the first covenant, the first act of faith and justification of faith, the first time the word love is used. We saw that in the last chapter, didn't we? Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you what? First time it's ever used. And here we have the first tears. And people have been shedding them for a couple of thousand years since. Some of you in this room are probably pretty accustomed to a lot of tears for many reasons. But some of you, because you've lost somebody that you love, you look forward to the day where God takes that divine cloth and wipes them away, right? Revelation 21. But until then, while you mourn for those who are dying or have died, ask yourself, how am I living because God doesn't want us to just incessantly mourn. He has created us and recreated us in Christ, those of us who know him, to live. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. And therein lies the problem with some of you. You know Jesus, but you're basically spiritual lumps on a log. You're not happy. You're not joyful. You're looking for fun everywhere else but in God. Abraham is mourning the, mourning the death of his wife. It's interesting, by the way, that Abraham purchases 
land in this passage to bury Sarah, land that's already been promised to him into his heritage. Which is pretty cool because it's Abraham's way of saying, while Sarah is dead, I haven't lost faith. He buys the very property that he's going to be buried in, buried in himself someday. The um, pastors of this church and our directors and a few of our interns made our way to Chicago, Illinois a few days ago. And we were there for three days for the annual Moody Founders Week. Heard some, heard some great preaching. We had some great fellowship. We had some great meetings. It was just a great time. While we were there in this historic building, I thought of, of what happened there several years ago when Warren Wearsby was the pastor. He was a young pastor in those days. And he invited a famous evangelist amongst the Southern Baptists whose name was Vance Havner. Vance Havner was a, a virtual quotable quote. He used to say, don't ever put live chicks under dead hens. That's why I always told people, if you get saved, go to a church that preaches the Bible. Don't tell them to go back to the church that doesn't preach the Bible. Why put live chicks under dead hens? He said most services start at 11 o'clock sharp and end at 12 o'clock dull. That was Vance Havner. So Vance comes in on schedule to preach at Moody Church. And, um, but what had just happened was his beloved wife, Sarah, had just died. Unexpectedly. But true to his faithfulness, he came to Moody Church to preach, still mourning the death of his wife. Dr. Wearsby met Dr. Havner as he came in, put his hand on his shoulder and said, Vance, I'm so sorry for your loss. Isn't that what we say? I'm so sorry for your loss. To which Dr. Havner looked at Warren and said, son, when you know where something is, you haven't lost it. <laughs> that reminded me of, of the, first, uh, the first trip to Israel I led several years ago. You know, we were having a great time. We were in the northern part. We jumped in a bus. We're making our way down into the desert, down, down, down into the desert. We're, and suddenly it occurs to one of our, our travelers, he forgot his, his valuables. He'd left them in the safe in his hotel. And he, he let that be known. There was this murmuring around the bus, and you could hear people say, he lost his stuff, he lost his stuff, he lost his stuff. And he heard this, and he turned around and announced to everybody in the bus, I haven't lost it. I know exactly where it's at. Widows, widowers, those of you who have lost a loved one, who knew Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, by the way, they still know him. They know him better than they ever did. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? You haven't lost them. You know exactly where they're at. Do you not? So lift up your heads and walk in joy. There is a reunion coming if you know the Lord. I love the way John put it. He says, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Have you ever read that? Blessed indeed, the Spirit agrees, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. It's a blessing to die. 
if you're in the Lord. Now, Abraham says to these Hittites in verse 4, I want to bury my dead out of my sight. That's an interesting way of putting it, isn't it? Which is, by the way, what happens when you bury your dead. They're kind of out of your sight. But burial is the ultimate reality, isn't it? It really is. It's the ultimate reality when you drop that casket into the hole. Speaking of which, picking out a casket was one of the hardest things I had to do. Because before my wife died, I would say, ah, you know, just put me in a box. Some of you probably said the same thing. Everybody says that until they have a loved one that dies. So I picked out a casket. My mother-in-law showed up. She saw the casket. And with tears in her eyes, she said, that's a nice casket, Pat. Thanks for picking that out. And I thought, oh, wow. I nearly lost an opportunity to minister to my mother-in-law. So Abraham picks out a casket. It's a cave. There's land. The rest of this passage is just him sort of talking. This Hittite offers the land for 400 He's 400 pieces of silver, which was an exorbitant price, but he didn't care. It was going to be his. He purchases it, secures a place for himself as well as his wife. Chapter 25, he gets put in that same place. Remember that. There's a place saved there for, for Abraham. That's where I want to conclude our time before, as we make our way to the Lord's table. Here's the first question I want to lay on you. Are you ready to die while you live? Are you ready to die while you live? I mean, by the way, that's the only, that's the only, you're not ready to live until you're ready to die. And you're not ready to die until you come into a relationship with the one who died for you. I mean, Abraham purchases a lot and a grave, land that is, to bury his dead. And by the way, when you, when you have to buy a lot and a grave for your loved one, that's a very emotional thing too. In fact, they said, you know, you got to buy that. I said, okay. And while you're at it, the guy says, you might as well buy one for yourself. Yikes. Okay. So I bought one for my wife and I bought one for myself. My wife, Marilyn, did the same thing with her husband. In fact, as I did that, I, I was reminded of my, my family. I, I come from this big family. I'm one of the youngest in my family. And when we get together, you know, the, every chair in the house is taken up. And my brothers and sisters have this, have this childish thing they do. When they sit around, they'll get up off the chair and they'll go, place saved. I'm thinking, you're 70 years old. You got to save a place? That's why I think we ought to go to graveyards once in a while, not to be weird. But it's good for me to go to the graveyard where my wife's body is buried. Because every time I do, I don't just do it to pay my respects. I do it to be reminded there's a place saved for me. There's a place saved for you. Are you ready to die? 
while you live? Like that old epitaph in England that reads on the gravestone, pause, my friend, as you walk by, as you are now, so once was I. How eerie would it be to read that? Pause, my friend, as you walk by, as you are now, so once was I, as I am now, so you will be. Prepare, my friend, to follow me. And as one wag saw that, took out a piece of paper and wrote down, to follow you is not my intent until I know which way you went. Okay, very good. (laughs) Good point. But the Apostle Paul said, you brought nothing into this world. It's certain you can carry nothing out, right? I remember sharing Christ with a man years ago he was in his 70s, I believe, at least 60s or 70s, maybe older, and he, he absolutely denied that he would ever die. I'd never had anybody tell me that before. I said, I'm sorry, did I, you don't think you're going to? No, I don't think I'll ever die. <sighs> Dude, you're going to die. No, no, I'm not going to die. Guess what? He died. <laughs> and like Thomas Hobbes, a Puritan once said, Hell is truth seen too late. But how different is it for those of you here who have been denying Jesus Christ? But by denying him, are you not also denying the reality that he alone knows when you're going to die? Our times are in his hands, right? So again, I ask you, are you ready to die while you live? If you don't know Jesus, you're not ready. It's appointed to you once to die, and after this, judgment. That's what the scripture says. And you need to get ready, because the day is coming. And for those of you who would claim to be followers of Jesus, my next question is, are you willing to live before you die? This is half the problem of the church in general, but it's half the problem of some of you as well. I know, when I say church, I mean the, the larger church beyond Sailorville. But I've been around enough for you to know. You, you say, I know Jesus, but you're not living for Jesus. He said, I've come to give you life. I've come to give it to you abundantly. Are you living this life that's been given to you in Christ? You notice, did you notice, look at verse four. Do you notice how Abraham described himself? Now think about this. The guy's been here. He's been in, he's, you know, he's, he's well over a hundred, but he's been in the land for 60 years, but he describes himself, watch this, as a sojourner. That's one that just passing through and a foreigner in a land he's been for over half a century. But that's a good, that's a good reminder to all of us, isn't it? We're sojourners. We're foreigners. Even later on when the law was enacted, God would, you know, where where transitions were taking place, sales and and purchases were taking place. Uh, Think about this, those of you who who like to move from house to house in order to amass more or whatever. Bottom line is, God would always make the land every jubilee, every 50 years, go back to its original owner. Why? As a perpetual reminder to his people, this Earth as we know it is not our eternal home. That's why he did that. 
Is it any wonder that the writer of Hebrews says of Abraham, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Watch this. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer, that is whose architect, whose artist and builder is who? God. Look, when you look for a greater city, not of this world, then you're ready to live in this world. That's when you're ready. So again, I ask you, those of you who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, are you willing to live before you die? Because some of you, you're existing, but you're not living. When Raphael died, he left this unfinished work, the transfiguration. But you're looking at the finished product. This is as it looks in Rome. If you were to visit there today, that's what it looks like. Finished, beautiful, priceless. Well, wait a minute. He, he died and it was unfinished. I mean, who finished the artwork? The answer his students finished it. Just let that sink in for a moment. Look, Jesus died to finish the work, amen? He said it is finished when he died on the cross, but his students live to complete the work of art. His students, those who know Jesus, those of us who are followers of Christ, we're still the ones, we're the ones bringing more people into the picture through gospel outreach if we're living, willing to live before we die. And I'm charging all of you today as members and attenders of Sailorville Church to ask yourself if you're a follower of Jesus, are you willing this day to live for the one who died for you before you die? And by the way, isn't that how the Apostle Paul put it in 2 Corinthians? He said, he died for all that all who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. Have you read that? That's incumbent upon us. So you want to know how to leave the house of mourning? You leave it by declaring in the land of the living, I have something to give you. I have something to give you that will make life worth living and death worth dying. Are you willing, follower of Jesus, to commit yourself today to stop living like a lump on a stinking log and really live for the one who died for you? And those of you in this room who don't know Jesus, you're not ready to die. 
until you do know Jesus. Until you do acknowledge your sin. Until you do believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. Will you pray with me as we prepare for the Lord's table? Our Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for the life of Sarah and the life of Abraham. Thank you that he exhibited what it meant to be ready to die while he lived and willing to live before he died. Make us like that. I pray for those in this room, Lord, who have never placed their faith in Jesus. They're not ready to die. And if they do, they'll perish in their current state. If that's you, my friend, as we're praying right now, and you would sense in your soul your own guilt, and you would sense in your heart a desire for the one who died for you and rose again, would you just repent, just tell him you're sorry for your sins, believe Jesus died and rose for you, and from your heart right now, from your heart right now, call upon him to be your Savior and Lord. Would you do that? Christian, those of you that are really Christian, Are you living? Are you living for Jesus Christ? Are you really living for him? And are you willing to live before you die? Not just that you'd have a great epitaph, but that you might honor the one who honored you with his death and resurrection, would you, Christian, make a commitment this morning to say, God, I don't, I don't want to be wasting my life anymore. I want to make it real. Would you do that? We'll thank you for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.